The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For this, it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The word of the Lord. Thank you very much for the wonderful music playing and our liturgist for your help this morning. And I'd appreciate your prayers because I'm normally preaching at an Air Force base on Sunday mornings. But it's good to be back in my roots as a Methodist pastor. And that song that we just sung, when I was growing up in the Methodist church, that would always be our closing hymn every Sunday. We would hold hands across the aisles and we would sing, Bind Us Together. My name's Alex Palomaria, and it's an honor to be here. I'm serving you this morning. Uh, I've been here a couple of three times. I've lived here in Redondo Beach. I lived here a little over a year now, uh, maybe a year and three days, but who's counting, right? But I remember one day asking Pastor Amy, I said to your pastor, I said, I would love to come speak one day to your congregation. And she said, Alex, you know, the people here love Jesus and reading their Bibles. I, I just don't know. So I asked her a second time, I said, please, let me, let me come preach. I would love to do that. I will give my very best. I'll give 100% effort. And she said, well, I just don't know. We have high standards here at <laughs> Riviera United Methodist Church. And I said, I'll do it for free. And then she said, sold. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That never took place. But my first visit here was around this time last year, and for those of you who were part of the United Methodist Women, I think I was sitting in the very back pew like good preachers do, and then after the service, there was an announcement, go down to the basement, I think, and we were going to uh, pack a lot of clothings for mothers that were expecting, and some children, infant. I don't know if you remember me, but if you saw some guy that didn't shave that morning, and hair was all messed up, that was me incognito just helping, putting things together. But that was my first uh, time coming here. And um, one of your church members here helped us out at Fort MacArthur um, the night before our worship service. Our musician couldn't make it, and I I put out an SOS, and one of your members actually came and played for us on the fly. 
So uh, we sort of have a connection there, and that's what the United Methodist Church is all about, uh, is connectionalism. Oh, and when Pastor Amy was asking me to come out here to preach, finally, I remember going to the website just to get more familiar with the church, and I, I forget her name, but I think she's in the congregation, but I think her youth director, she's from the same state that I am from, Alabama. Is that a God wink or what? So if you can uh, uh, bear with my southern accent, because I'm in Southern California, um, I'd appreciate that. But I want to share with you uh, a message today, and it's called, uh, Let the Spirit Guide You. Now, the passage has been read wonderfully to you, and in just a minute, if it's okay with you, I'm going to reread it, but I'm going to reread it from the Message Bible. Now, you may not have heard of the Message Bible, but when I was in seminary 22 years ago, I turned in a research paper, we call it an exegesis, and I remember my professor looked over my research paper and he read inked it, okay? I said, my gosh, I feel like I'm in undergraduate school again. And on the top of it, he said, Alex, never use the Message Bible again for my classroom. The Message Bible is a paraphrase I want you to use a scholarly Bible. Well, this morning, I'm not in seminary anymore. (laughs) And I'm not here to make scholars. I'm here to make disciples. Can I get an amen on that? And that's what we say in the South. But I'm going to read from the message, but if you want to follow along again uh, in your NIV, KJV, RSV, ESV, or even ESPN... You are more than welcome to follow along. I think all the men laughed on that one, right? All right. So from the message, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, and this is a remix. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, the fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of the life of Christ is like a strong wind, magnificently clears the air, freeing you from the faded lifetime of brutal tenery under the hands of sin. God went for the jugular when he went his own, sent his only son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote or unimportant, In his son Jesus, he personally took the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid instead of a deep healing. And now... What the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing inside us. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising in real life. Hmm? Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them living and breathing. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. 
Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. The person that ignores God is what is not required. And God isn't pleased at being ignored. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed the invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. That's a little bit different, isn't it? Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let the Spirit guide you. This is an extraordinary chapter. Paul makes it clear that the Holy Spirit must guide your daily walk. You see, the Holy Spirit is God's activity in our lives. When we sense God's leading, when we're sad, God's comfort, when we have troubles and burdens, that is the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, working in your life. In the Old Testament, we see mention of the Spirit in Genesis chapter 1. It says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You know what that means is the Spirit of God moves. When the Spirit of God sees someone in need, hovers. That means that God is hovering over Riviera United Methodist Church. God is hovering over you individually. And whatever it is you're going through, health issues, financial issues, marriage problems, problems with your children, God is hovering And when the Spirit sees that you are down, depressed, or in the dumps, the Spirit will hover over you and will guide you in the right direction. I remember being guided by the Holy Spirit on 9-11. Now, before I get into that story, when Pastor Amy and I were talking, she said, Alex, I, I can't remember a time where we've had a chaplain come visit. So perhaps some of your stories as a Methodist pastor that's in extension ministry serving the church, so I'll represent you, I literally do, because we're connected, remember, but in the Air Force, but I do everything that a Methodist pastor does. However, some of the stories I want to share with you this morning may be a little different than what you're normally used to hearing, and this is just from an Air Force chaplain's point of view. I remember on the day 9-11 happened, for weeks leading up to 9-11, I'd already been called by God to serve as an Air Force chaplain. That morning I woke up, I was in my parsonage in the Alabama-West Florida Conference in the Panhandle, uh, Destin United Methodist Church. The Panhandle we also refer to as Redneck Riviera. So I was down there drinking my coffee. And I'm probably thinking the secretary's wondering how come I'm not at the church yet and she's going to tattletale on me with the SPR committee. So I'm sitting there saying, that's okay. I got to fill out this paperwork because God is calling me. And I'm sitting in the parsonage filling out this paperwork that I have to send to the extension ministries in Nashville, Tennessee, where we're headquartered for uh, the UMEA. 
And I turn on the TV, and all of a sudden I see these planes hitting the tower. And it mesmerized me. I put my pen down, and I was watching, and, you know, I was sort of conflicted. I wasn't scared. My calling hadn't stopped. But I thought, how ironic that God was calling me into chaos. It's sort of like what Genesis chapter 1 says, that in the emptiness, in the void, in the darkness, in chaos, God sent the light. I felt God calling me, and I was being guided by the Holy Spirit to enter into the chaplaincy. It wasn't for a paycheck. It wasn't because I'd already served three Methodist churches at that point. I felt led by God that this was my personal calling to serve the Lord and to serve the church. And I remember filling it out, putting it in the mail, and sending it. I got a call from the United Methodist Church saying, you know, Alex, some of the planes have been grounded right now because they're reevaluating security. And now you know about security today, right, because of 9-11. Go to LAX. It takes, you know, forever to go through all the screen checking. And I understand and I get it. I couldn't fly to Nashville for my interview because you had to be selected because there was no guarantee you could be a chaplain. And I remember saying, you know what? I'm not going to allow chaos to stop me from getting to Nashville. So when the time came, I got in my car, and I just drove all the way from Florida to Nashville. And I'm thankful for the Lord's calling. Well, two years later, after being selected to serve as a chaplain in the Air Force, two years later, I find myself flying to Baghdad, Iraq, in support of a mission. Now, back in those days when we flew into Iraq, we always did so by the cover of darkness. And I was the OG chaplain. Now, what is an OG? Um, Not to be confused with any medical terms. Um, I was uh, the operations group chaplain, which means any airplanes that are flying, fighter jets, um, heavy aircraft like C-130s, C-17s, C-5s, I didn't even know about aircraft before I joined the Air Force, okay, honestly. But I was told, Chaplain, we need you to fly on a mission on a C-130 to Baghdad to help the air crew. So you see, sometimes this is how a a chaplain can be different from um, a a pastor in a way, um, serving in a local charge like Riviera. Uh, Sometimes our pulpit is 20,000 feet in the air, and our pulpit that you have right here, the pulpit is sometimes the flight deck of a C-130. And I'm put in the back and I'm strapped in. I have body armor next to me. And as we get ready to fly into Iraqi airspace, the aircraft commander says on the headsets, put your body armor on. Of course, the first thing I thought of was Ephesians, body armor. So I'm sitting there praying. And they look back and say, chaplain, get your body armor on. So I'm strapping all my body armor on. I didn't get it at first. Remember, I'm sort of a rookie at this point, new, haven't even been in the Air Force hardly a year. So we're flying into Iraqi airspace, and all of our lights have been off since we took off, and we're flying by NVGs. Now, I even have the NVGs. thought it was pretty cool. The next thing I know, I can feel the aircraft doing these circles in the air. And I said, wow, that's pretty fun. feels like we're on a joyride now. So the next thing I know, the office that I'm located in on the flight deck, uh, we were coming in. Uh, what they say, uh, coming in hot, okay? 
So we're coming in hot to the runway, and as we start to land, right before we get down, I could see tracers going across uh, Saddam Hussein's airport, and I could see tracers flying in the air, and I remember hearing the aircraft commander said, you know, they're just looking for a magic BB to hit us. That's all. And when we land, the loadmaster uh, that sits in the cargo area, I guess that's equivalent to, your, to our ushers, right? So the loadmaster opens up the door, and he's yelling, go, go, go. And all these soldiers are running across the runway, jumping on the aircraft, and the loadmaster is strapping them in. And I'm sitting up there saying, what did I just get myself into? And then right when the aircraft door sealed, the aircraft commander said, chaplain, would you mind praying for us? And that was only the second time he had prayed for me in about eight hours worth of flight. Otherwise, I was just sitting back there saying, okay. And so I remember praying, and honestly, I can't even tell you right now what I prayed. Okay, I was scared too, I'll be honest with you, uh, you know, but, but I knew that my faith had to sustain me. Even our founder, John Wesley, when he was on a boat going across the ocean and he thought he was going to die, he got scared, but a, bro- a bunch of brothers encouraged him. In the same way, we're getting ready to take off. I prayed and I overcame my fear. And as we took off and we did these corkscrew-type maneuvers to avoid uh, fire, and we got into Kuwait uh, um, uh, airspace. That sounds strange because I remember Gulf, Co- Gulf War One, right? I think Kuwait was involved in that. So we, we fly into Kuwait airspace, and the loadmaster walks up to the flight deck. He hits me on the back, and he says, Chaplain. And I take off my headset, and I said, Yeah. He said, When you prayed... Did you know that the commander turned on the intercom so all the soldiers could hear you? There was like a hundred of them in that aircraft. And when you prayed that prayer, they were looking around. They thought God was talking to them. Well, as I said, sometimes our churches are 20,000 feet in the air. Amen. And it just so happens um, that was the summer I'll never forget because I've been camping before, but never in the desert. Oh my gosh, I felt like Moses, okay? So I'm in the desert, so hot out there. They have this little place that you can go to get a, um, some soda or a candy bar. But there's a sign, can't eat it in here because they had a portable air condition. I guarantee you, the moment you walk out, your Reese's peanut butter cup begins to melt. That's how hot it was in the desert. But let me tell you, whether our pews are in the desert or our pews are in the air or our pews in the congregation... United Methodist pastors are there. Amen. Now, don't let me fool you. I'm, I'm not necessarily a, a perfect person, but I do love everything about the United Methodist Church and what the church has taught me. Um, even as a personal Christian, I try to live my life according to God's Word. And even when I'm not on duty, which I think as a Christian, We are always on duty, no matter where we are and what we do. Again, I'm not perfect. I remember a time, and I love our civilian industry, uh, civilian airlines. And by the way, I had never flown that much until I joined the Air Force, maybe twice my whole life. My first flight ever was after I graduated from high school, and I went to be a missionary. That was the coolest thing. But I've flown so much now, while in the Air Force, I can't even keep track. 
places that I've been, things that I will do, Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa. It just goes on and on. I think the coolest thing I ever did was flew over the pyramids of Egypt. I was so tired and sleeping in that aircraft that the loadmaster woke me up and said, Chaplain, I think you want to see this. And I looked out and there was the pyramids of Egypt. But I love our civilian industry as well, especially, I guess it's called TSA, where you sort of can sort of skip a part of a line to get up toward the front. And I always feel cheapish about that because, you know, what do people think of me? I'm insecure. I get to skip some lines because I'm in the military. And then when you're sitting in your waiting area and then the intercom comes on, it says, you know, women with children, women that are expecting and military, you can board first. You know, raise your hand if you've heard that before or nod so we'll get out of here faster because I know it's warm. Okay, so I'll remember... One, uh, on this one particular flight that I was on, they said, in military, you can board first. So I said, well, that's very nice. I think I'll do it. So, and plus, I had to use the restroom. There was a good reason, okay? So no one else got up. No one. I guess I was the lucky one that day. I remember going through security. Everything's looking really good. Got in there, found my seat, plenty of elbow room, put my personal item under the seat, and I said, you know, I... I better go before we take off. So I'll walk back to the back of the aircraft, which normally the bathrooms are, and I noticed that um, the, uh, the stewardess, the woman that works on the aircraft, the men, whoever, they were in the back trying to put their personal item on, uh, you know, in the, in the luggage space. Had a hard time putting it up there. And as I was walking, I didn't need to get to the restroom, but I could tell she was frustrated and... Uh, I, I didn't say anything. She just looked at me and said, where are you going? And I said, um, to the bathroom. <laughs> and she said, well, who are you? And I said, uh, Alex Palomaria. I'm a chaplain in the Air Force. She goes, uh, well, go back to where you came from. There's no bathroom here. And, and I said, wow, to myself. Now, I could have replied negatively to her because I thought she was a little bit, you know, chippy. Or I could have said something positive like, oh, you're having a bad day. I could just tell no matter what I said, it would have been volatile at that point. I was not going to mess with an angry woman at that point. Mm -mm. I've, I've seen that in action before, and usually I'm at fault. So I said, you know, about face, Alex, go find another restroom somewhere on the aircraft. So I did. Well, let me ask you something this morning. Do you let people get under your skin, or do you let the Spirit guide you in how you react? You know, the scripture that I read talks about the Spirit leading you so the Spirit can lead your mind and control your emotions. At that moment, I could have got emotional, but there was no need to, okay? She was just probably having a bad day. You know, who are you? I'm not asking you, like, tell me what you do in life or where you're going, but how do you let the Spirit guide you in everything that you do? Hmm? Romans 8, 6 says, The mind is governed by the Spirit in life and peace. You know, I've now been a chaplain for over 17 years. And the Spirit of God has guided me in this incredible journey. And I would not change anything. I've moved nine different times. Been deployed, as you've heard. I've done two remotes without uh, family in Korea. Um, luckily, I got selected. I say that sarcastically. Two different places in Korea. And 
and I've even had a chance to, to be stationed in Italy. And all these things that I've done and all these things that I've seen, I have to really attribute it to Romans chapter 8, that I've let the Spirit guide me in all that I do. Now again, I'm not a perfect person. I'm not a perfect pastor. I'm not a perfect chaplain. And I have to confess to you this morning, and, I, and this is no joke, I've actually been kicked out of a church before. I have. You see, when I was stationed in Italy, I had some friends come visit me in Italy. And I had been to the Vatican in Rome a few times, but when you're visiting Italy for the first time, you really want to go to Rome and visit uh, the Sistine Chapel and Michelangelo's paintings of, uh, of Genesis, you know, the hand of God meeting the hand of, of Adam, uh, etc. So I'll remember going to the Sistine Chapel with my friends. And I said, this is a great witnessing tool. And there's something interesting about the Sistine Chapel if you've never been there before. Um, you, you're probably wondering, you know, it's, it's sort of like if this is the Sistine Chapel, it's a dome, just beautiful pictures of Michelangelo everywhere. And what I found out was, you know, in those days, a lot of people didn't know how to read. So it was important to show the gospel through pictures. So when you went to church and you didn't know how to read, you could see the Bible through pictures. Now, that, that's special to me because growing up in Alabama, um, my mother was a country girl from Chilton County, Alabama, where they picked peaches. She was one of ten kids that picked peaches on the farm um, and cotton as well. Uh, they were what you call sharecroppers. And, and I remember the story of my father coming to America at age 18 all by himself from the Philippines. Most people look at me and think I'm Spanish. And when I start to talk, they said, what is the matter with you? You sound so Southern. Shouldn't you be speaking Spanish? And I said, well, I'm no Espanol. Okay. My dad came to America at age 18 years old. Landed up north of here, a place called San Francisco. Got off the boat by himself, had just a few dollars, and stayed in what's called the Salvation Army. Was there for a few days. This was back in the 1950s. And he told me the story that I'm about to tell you. Someone came to his door and knocked on the door and said, Nothing. Gave him a card. And on the card, it had an address. But this man that he saw was dressed in white. He said, Alex, he looked like an angel. Didn't know who he was. True story. The next day, my dad left, left that homeless shelter. And he went to a recruiting station. That's what the address was. And it said, um, Air Force. So this man in white led him to a man in blue. Joined the Air Force. And his first duty station, can you guess where it was? Alabama in Montgomery and then when my dad landed there in a foreign country going to a different part of the United States he said Alex you know back in those days when I got on the bus he says it was labeled white and black and he goes I didn't know where to sit and I said dad where did you sit he said I tried out both of them and they were very comfortable and he goes Alex when I got off the bus in Montgomery 
there were water fountains, and they were labeled colored and white. I said, which one did you drink out of, Dad? He said, both, and they both tasted like water. So my dad is trying to adjust, barely could speak English, and some of his GI buddies said, let's go to a dance. So they went out to a dance, and that's where he met my mother. This dance, what we call in Alabama, is called square dancing. Don't know if you've ever square danced or not, but I remember doing it in P.E. My hands would always get sweaty having to dance with a girl. But so my dad met this young lady, and they square dance. And I'd like to tell you today that my mom and dad have been square dancing for 55 years. Now, my mother was real young back then, but country girls marry young back then. My mother was 16 when she got married, not because she had to, not because she was pregnant, but because they were in love. And I believe God brought them together so they could create this, so I could be here preaching to you. God works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? But let me tell you, growing up was tough because my mother, growing up on the farm, didn't know how to read, never went to school. Um, I would guess she would call her illiterate. But she's the smartest person I know because she has emotional intelligence. I come home from school, and she said, boy, did you get your homework done? No, yes, ma'am, I got all my homework done in study hall. You're lying. Start working it, and I'm going to check it when you're done. I didn't even know that she couldn't read, but she could tell when I lied. That's a spiritual gift, I think, that mothers have only. And so the only person that could help me growing up, because my dad didn't even hardly speak English, was my older brother. He was six years older. First, Paula Maria, born in the U.S. I was the second. So he taught me the ABCs, literally. He taught me pronouns, adverbs, all these kinds of things. And school was difficult for me, especially when he left to go to college. The first one to graduate from college on my dad's side, the first one to graduate from high school on my mom's side. So when he left, I was on my own. I was an island to myself. I struggled with C's and D's all the way through school, but I did the best I could. And there's one thing that my parents taught me that you really can't teach in a classroom, and that is get to school early. Say yes, ma'am. Say no, sir. Take notes. After class, talk to your teachers. Ask them questions. Build relationships. And when they see that effort, they're going to help you when you need that C instead of a D. Maybe that B instead of a C because they see that effort that you put into it. And I believe also that's what God calls us to do. And that is to do our best for, for Christ. To give our best effort. To give the best foot forward. Well, I can say that over the years, God has called me into the ministry. Scared to death going to college. It took me four and a half years to graduate because I had to pay for it myself. And then when God called me into the, cha- uh, into the divinity to become a, a, an ordained Methodist minister, uh, I was scared to death because you had to have an A-B average like Alpha Bravo. If you made below a B average, you got kicked out. I was able to pull it off. And then a little bit later, I felt God calling me to get my doctorate. Scared to death again. But here I stand before you as a living testimony guided by the Holy Spirit that I have a doctorate as well. But I can say it's all because of my parents. They taught me stuff that you can't teach in a classroom. And that's because I believe my, the Lord guided my dad to America. The Lord and the Spirit guided him to meet my mother. And the Spirit guided Pastor Amy 
for me to be here with you today. And as I close, I want you to know this, and I apologize for going so long. Sometimes being a chaplain is hard. People look at us like they're just a chaplain. They don't know nothing about the Air Force, nothing about the mission. Well, let me tell you, if you read the Bible, all of God's armies never went anywhere without prayer, without a prophet, someone like Moses, someone like Elijah. Even David was a man after God's own heart. All the men and women that God talks about in the Bible, I believe God still guides today. Not too long ago, I was on base walking down the sidewalk. And as I was walking down the sidewalk, uh, there was a captain walking by me. And I'm what's called a major in the Air Force. I don't get into rank. Rank is what I get paid. The cross is what I wear. In fact, I have a cross on my uniform there and a cross on my hat. Most people can't figure out what that even means if they're unchurched and they're in the Air Force. I don't know what a cross means. They get confused. They're just used to seeing rank. So I'm walking down the sidewalk, and this captain walks by me. And as we cross paths, the captain turned around and said, Excuse me, Lieutenant. And I said, I think she's talking to me, but I'm a major. So I turned around. She goes, Lieutenant, I am a captain in the United States Air Force, and you failed to salute me. And I said, Well, Captain, I am a chaplain major in the United States Air Force. Actually, you forgot to salute me and she popped to attention and saluted me and I saluted her back and I said I forgive you go about (laughs) and she said I just didn't know chaplain the cross threw me off I thought it was a first lieutenant bar and I was kidding with her because I didn't want her to think oh my gosh she's going to tattletale on me and I said look it, it happens sometimes and I hope you're having a good day and if you ever need anything Come by the chaplain's office. Ask for me, Chaplain Paula Maria, because I'd love to help you if you ever need anything. And I think that's how the Spirit guides me, turning conflict into something joyous, trying to be a helpful person where you can. It doesn't mean you avoid conflict. It just means that you've got to have the right temperament. And I think the only way to have the right temperament is to let God guide you in all things. So as I close, sometimes that cross throws airmen off. They don't know what to make of me. Sometimes the cross may throw you off. What side of the cross are you standing on this morning? Are you standing on the Lord's side? Nor are you drifting away? My encouragement to you is let the Spirit guide you. Amen.